Hello everyone, thanks for joining in. I am Shubha Kankariya and welcome to episode 8 of Dastai Rahi. It is a travel talk where we get to know about amazing places through wonderful stories of various travelers. So our today's guest is an architect by profession. He decided to visit 30 countries before he turned 30, but eventually ended up visiting 40 countries. Today, he's going to talk about his solo travels and how architecture, music and food plays an important role in his travels. So guys, without any further delay, let's get on board Nishad Kulkarni. Hi Nishad. Hi Shubha. How are you? I am good. How are you? Good, good, good. Thanks. Welcome to Dastai Rahi. I'm so excited to have you for the talk. Yes, thank you so much. Excited to be here. Okay, so to begin with, tell us how solo traveling started for you. Uh, so basically, actually, it started a long time ago, around eight to nine years ago. So basically, I always tell people that I used to be an introvert. And actually, I wanted to get that thing out of me, you know, I because I had this urge of going to places, meeting new people. You know, there was this thought of this anxiety within me. You know, it's a bit scary to go and talk to people directly. Mm. But then one day I just decided, you know, I have to go it because that feeling of seeing places is much more than that anxiety. So then I decided, uh, you know, I'll start within India, traveling within India. So basically I quit my job. I actually sold some positions that I had. And with that money, I traveled to Oroville, which is near Pondicherry in South India. So there I basically volunteered in a forest. Mm. So it's this cool place called Sadhana Forest in Oroville. Uh, where you can basically volunteer and uh, volunteer to like plant trees and it's a sustainable community. So then I started interacting with people there and you know like this whole new of living and working and just existing like I became exposed to that kind of alternative lifestyle basically. So that is how I started solo traveling which was like super scary, super fun and I had like a lot to learn, learn in that. And that kind of turned you into an extrovert? Yeah, so basically it started with that. And, you know, as I started talking to people, listening to their stories, listening to their version of events, I eventually learned that, you know, like me and that other person is the same. Basically, we're having the same journey. It's like a shared common human experience. That introvertedness just snapped out of me. I'm like, literally everyone is going through the same shit, you know, like why, why be scared to talk to people that eventually, you know, I became an extrovert. I started talking to more people. I wanted to listen to their stories, listen to their, how they perceive travel, how, how do they travel? Where have they traveled? What exciting adventures did they have when they traveled? So eventually that whole transition happened from an introvert to an extrovert in all of these travels, basically. Interesting. So you traveled solo in India, you traveled solo in other parts of the world. How different you think it is to travel solo in India in comparison to other countries? So basically there are a lot of differences if you talk about solo traveling in India and solo traveling, let's say in Southeast Asia or Europe. I think the main difference would be the accommodation. So in India right now, like in the last four or five years, we've become used to hostels and backpacking, you know, like uh, youth hostels and stuff like that, like with this hostel being like a very big player in the industry right 
right now. But this hostile culture has always existed in Europe and Southeast Asia since the last 30-40 years. And then there's, you know, like there's various types of hostels. You've got like nice quiet hostels, you've got a party hostel where, you know, like you just literally go to party. And these are located in like major cities in Europe, in Thailand, in Vietnam, where it's like a very fun, young vibe they have got going on. Sometimes there's live music, there's usually a bar in the hostel. You know, it's like a big party with strangers going on. And that's also like an experience in itself. Like just being at that hostel, even if you don't step out, but just being at that hostel, listening to people, interacting with them, that itself is an experience. Like this is a major difference. What I've seen traveling here and there is the quality of hostels, the quality of accommodation that you get and the price, basically. So even in Europe, it's still quite cheap to travel in hostels. It's like five euros, 10 euros, which is like 500, 800 rupees, which is basically the same price as India. If you look at Europe, then it's cheaper that way. One more stark difference that I've noticed is the transportation, of course, the accessibility, the connectivity that Europe or other countries allow you to have. Basically, so their entire transportation system is online. You can book online, you can track the bus online. You can, there's Wi-Fi in the buses, there's washrooms inside the buses. So there's very less chance of going wrong. doesn't matter what country or in what language they speak. Everything is going to be in English on the online platform. If they say the bus is going to leave at 5, it does leave at 5. It does reach at 10, which doesn't happen here. I, you know, I always tell people that each has its own, you know, pros and cons because like missing a bus in India or, you know, like bus breaking down in the middle of nowhere in India. That's also fun. You know, like you've got to experience that as well. Yeah. It becomes very monotonous. But like, yeah, these are some of the differences that I've seen. Agreed, agreed. And the hostel part you said, I don't think the concept of party hostels exist in India as of now. It doesn't, it doesn't. So as far as I know, there are a few hostels in Goa recently which have come up, which they have sort of that culture. But it's still like way in its infancy in India right now. Because if you talk about, you know, like Germany, uh, like in Berlin, even Paris or Amsterdam, they've got this like big culture of party hostels, which like you go in and the reception is a bar itself. They'll like literally welcome you with a shot and then you check in and then, you know, they've got these drinking games going on and pub crawls happening. It's like a very, very fun vibe uh, in these party hostels. This really, really sounds like fun. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so moving on, Nishat, uh, you are an architect. So in terms of architecture, which place have you liked the most? And has that inspired your work in any way? Yeah, of course it does. So basically, architecture is also like one of the biggest reasons that I started traveling. I'm a big fan of history. I'm a big fan of cultures around the world. And I think architecture ties all of that because it, it's like a symbiotic relationship between like art and science and music and language and culture and food and all of that ties into architecture. So like that's a good way of uh, gauging a country's culture or their lifestyle. So of course, yes, like architecture is one of my biggest parameters when I travel and saying so I have done some travels exclusively just to see the architecture of that place. One being Sri Lanka. So Sri Lanka is like a very, very underrated place in my opinion. Like it's literally two hours from India, like anywhere from India, you can get like a two hour flight to go to Sri Lanka. It's very similar to India in terms of its culture and the lifestyle, but yet it's like a whole world apart because they've got like a different history. They've got a different culture while being in South Asia and that reflects in its architecture. 
they are some like the world's pioneers in some sorts of architecture as well so it's basically called tropical regionalism so basically showcasing what your country is famous for uh, showcasing your local materials your local art forms your local building styles and that is what sri lanka has done successfully so they have combined that traditional approach and a modern approach so many of their modern buildings also look traditional feel traditional yet they are suited for a modern environment sri lanka is one of the most beautiful places to visit architecturally as well then one more is spain again spain is a very 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 beautiful country it's got some amazing old architecture medieval architecture they have managed to successfully preserve their 500 year old churches 500 year old palaces and all of that and when i say preserving or conserving it's just not like turning that place into a museum so that place literally has the same function as it used to have 500 years ago or maybe they have converted a part of that into a museum or there are some places where a church is converted into a nightclub or it's converted into a bar or it's converted into a hostel the use of that place still there i mean it's not kept in a showcase where you know you can just look at it it's like you can still feel the whole place through through that this whole idea of like combining travel and those buildings combining travel and architecture spain has done really really amazing when i traveled to spain i lived in this hostel in sevilla which was like in a 100 120 year old building in the old city and you know that building like used to be a man like some rich family's mansion many many years ago but they converted that place into a hostel it's got like an old world charm but it's a party hostel as well so the rooftop is a bar then like the ground floor living room is a reception and every bedroom is like a dorm and then you can see the entire old town from that area so these things they have managed to do very very well in spain nice so does your travel inspires your work in any way yeah 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 so it definitely does because you know whenever i travel to any place a certain motif a certain art element or a certain style of architecture remains in my head right and when i'm designing something for a client okay i'll tell him you know like i i traveled here last month you know this is something really good that i saw let's let's do it in your house that reflects in my work as well and then it becomes like a very good thing for the client also because you know like it it becomes a story uh, for them it becomes a nice breaker for them it becomes a conversation starter you know like oh like you know this living room is inspired from spain let's say yeah. and then you know like they've also got like a nice point within their house to tell people so that i usually try to do and incorporate my travels and what i've seen in my travels in my work as well so it definitely does help a lot amazing i'm i'm aware that uh, music is also something that inspires you so does that also matter in your travels yeah so basically i'm a very musical person like my name also has something to do with music whenever i travel to a place i usually try and read or listen to some music from that place like some local music old and new like folk music and modern music as well and when i go there i usually you know like ask people what do you listen to like please like let me listen to it as well uh, something like that and then some of the like weirdest and most interesting musical like songs or like music i've heard is in turkey i've heard some like really good stuff in estonia this happened by coincidence i was in estonia and i was walking through the town square and it happened to be there like national music festival going on basically um so basically like people from all around eastern europe and estonia and all the ethnicities in estonia they were performing their local folk music so i just sat there for like hours just listening to that local music and it was amazing like they yodel their accents their yodeling techniques instruments it's so amazing and it just like 
it makes you feel that like you're you're there you know you're there at that moment in that country as i always like tell people you know it, it ties in like you know that architecture part that music part the language food all of that you know like ties into that whole travel experience if you don't experience all of this like i would say people like you haven't traveled you've just been there but you like you've really got to experience what the locals experience you know and that is through this like through the buildings that they live in through the food that they eat through the music that they listen to that entire experience basically is what i travel for so that's like one of my biggest reasons why i travel as well music i think is something which not everyone considers but for me it kind of gave me a different perspective you know like like thinking about a country in terms of its music yeah i mean basically because we are not used to listening to other kinds of music you know although in like 2021 like we are connected so much especially since the lockdown also like on online mediums and everything but still we don't think of you know like what kind of music does turkey have or what kind of music does mongolia have or you know what what is the local music of italy we don't think of that you know like we just think mainstream but then like once you start exploring into these things like it's really really you like you'll be surprised at the amount of art that every single community every single country place produces and i mean that has got to mean something right i mean music is one of the biggest parameters on how i see a country seems like uh, judgments are based on that so we talked about architecture we talked about music one more important aspect of travel is food like you said and considering you are a foodie at heart so which place is your favorite in terms of experiencing food in terms of experiencing the food i would say two countries top my list because they're very different countries in terms of food in terms of what they eat so first is iceland i visited iceland a couple of years ago they have some of the strangest food on the planet i can't say if it's like extremely delicious or not that's like a very personal preference but it is definitely interesting for sure so like some of the recipes that they have is like they basically bury a shark in ice because well iceland is like they have ice there for a long time and so basically they bury it in ice for months and then they remove the shark and then they eat it or they eat a uh, reindeer which i i also tried they have like a variety of weird animals that they cook and eat so basically because it's an island and it was remote for the longest time in its history so they had to innovate like from whatever they had on the island whatever traders could bring in and whatever could you know grow in like such a cold place they had to innovate and this is something which i really like like how did these foods come into existence you know like why why are they burying sharks in the ground or you know why why are they re- eating reindeer so basically all of this and how how do they make it how do they prepare it what kind of uh, you know like spices do they add so like this also plays like a very good part in understanding the food and the food history behind it which is also very interesting because whenever i travel i try to go to that again like a local place eat like the most local food and i never try to eat like what i like what is my comfort food i won't eat it when i'm traveling because in my head then i'm not experiencing that country c- completely so i will eat entirely local and it's also cheap like if you eat local it's also very cheap so yeah like iceland is one of the weirdest and most interesting places in terms of food thailand is again like a very very good example of food because a good part of thai food is influenced by indian food but it's still very very different so they've got like the same ingredients that we use basically the same masalas the same curries but still the end 
result is different because of the way that you make it because of the some two or three ingredients which are different and again i've eaten some very very weird foods in thailand all of these insects like flies and you know like bees and spiders so they basically fry it and like put salt on it and basically just eat it like chips might seem a bit disgusting at first but it is actually really tasty it's crispy it's crunchy what's not to like So so the last time we spoke you told me about some dishes which are not indian but in in general have always been considered indian do you want to talk about that so basically even i found out a bit later when i started traveling that you know some dishes which we consider completely indian are not at all from india one prime example being samosas and jalebis both samosa and jalebi are like originated in somewhere like in turkey arabia uh, mediterranean that that region so it's extremely popular there and like it turns out that they have got chicken samosas which are also very very delicious and the jalebis that they make they're more they're more sticky they're more sweet but essentially they're the same shape they're the same color and it's basically the same dish and it's from there when like these invasions happened a thousand years ago 500 years ago that these foods came into india and we just like we uh, improvised on that we improved on that and like we made it our own completely but once you start to travel to these areas and you start to realize like okay like this is their local food actually this is where it originated and it's a slightly a different recipe a slightly different version but it's amazing and you get like samosas in small towns in portugal as well they're like smaller samosas filled with chicken or filled with meat it's really really delicious and it's their evening snacks Too. That is when I started to, you know, actually go more into food history as well. From from where did these foods come from? So what is the original recipe? Then I started to go to these places and eat that original food there. So it's very interesting, you know, like food and travel. Basically, travel and food go hand in hand. So like even like traders five hundred years ago when they used to travel, they used to bring foods from everywhere, and that is how these recipes are created, right? So it's very very interesting. That's so true. um so you have been to 40 countries and have taken so many flights and gone through different immigrations um lot of people have interesting experiences at airports or maybe immigration do you have any interesting stories from these places many 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 i've got some scary ones i've got some like funny ones i've got very um uh, tedious ones start off with the funny one i guess actually me and my friend were traveling throughout southeast asia so basically thailand vietnam and cambodia and i have actually never ever ever been late to an airport or you know like missed any train flight bus car ever in my life we were in bangkok and our flight was supposed to be from bangkok to phuket which is like a 2 3 hour flight okay. and we were already running a bit late because we like completely forgot to like look at the time so we were running running a bit late so we basically got this tuk tuk driver who was going at the speed of 5 we like i literally yelling at him like please uncle like please go faster we have a flight he's like no worry no worry i reach i reach i reach you and then i you know i i i wanted to tell him you know like mr like please 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 hurry up and then uh, so all of these like tuk tuk drivers in um, thailand they have like their id card stuck on the back of their seat and i looked at it and his name was mr pon like mr p o r n <laughs> like, Mr. Paul, please, please go faster. Like you know, <laughs> like he completely uh, failed to see the joke in that. But basically, Mr. Paul is the reason why me and my friend missed our flight. Then we fought at the airport, 
and we had to explain the counter lady that Mr. Pon was very slow. That's why we got late. <laughs> and please give us a different flight. So they're like, no, you'll have to pay for a different flight. So like we had to wait at the airport and we, we booked a different flight and then went there. So this is one of like the funny incidences which has happened. Then again, one of the most easiest immigration things have been from Vietnam to Cambodia. This is a very interesting border crossing, basically. So what we did is we took a boat in Vietnam to go to Cambodia. Basically like a huge river with a lot of tributaries and streams. And you can hire a boat and just go around in the boat for days. And incidentally, it so happens that you can also cross the border via boat. So the border is nothing. It's just like a small tapri. And there's like two hammocks. So you get off the boat, you sit in a hammock, people will bring like coconut water for you and everything. Some random man will come, he'll take your passport, go with it for like half an hour, stamp it and come back. And all this time you're just like lying between coconut trees on hammocks and you know, like just looking out into the river, sipping coconut water. Mm. One of the most easiest border crossings ever, like to get into Cambodia. It's nothing. It's the best, best immigration ever till date. Interesting anecdotes from every immigration place, everything. The exact opposite is in from, from when you go from Cambodia to Thailand, it's the exact opposite because there's like a mile long no man's land and you have to cross the border on foot if you go by car. So the car will drop you at the Cambodian border. Then you have to get your documents, get your photo, get your visa and cross to the Thailand side. But we had like extremely bad luck. Like the immigration officer was angry that day. So he wanted like a lot of documents and it so happens that there's no printing shop on the Thailand side of it. So you have to go back all the way to Cambodia in the heat, walk one kilometer down and then go again. So we did this three times because every time we went, the immigration officer wanted something else. So we had to do this three times, like back and forth, back and forth and then go into Thailand. And then he was like, okay. And then we missed our bus again. So like that trip, we missed a lot of stuff, but yeah, all in all, like a very, very interesting journey. And, and that's how you learn basically. So you know, next time what to do, what not to, what to carry. So you have to carry like extra photographs, you have to carry extra passport copies and, you know, like photocopies of every document that you have. So it's just better to have these things in place. So yeah, it's like very interesting events at immigration and border control. Yeah, a lot of people go through these hassles, but uh, some of them are definitely worth mentioning. Yeah, so like our Indian passport isn't a strong passport. So you will be questioned at every border, you know, as to like why you go into that country, what is the reason, show your visa, show your this, show your that. But like once you get past that initial hesitation of, you know, explaining to that officer, then, then, then you're sorted. Then it's actually very easy and you get into that habit of doing it. Like even if you like, you know, like you go to Cambodia and Thailand and you have to cross the border three times. It's still fun, you know, because like there's a story out of it, you know, like who, who does that? Who crosses the border three times? It's like, it's still fun. Definitely. You have been to Indonesia, right? Um, because I remember you telling me about uh, meeting an official to visit a particular country. What, what was that all about? So this trip was basically throughout Indonesia. So I started in Jakarta. So basically the city is called Yogyakarta, but they like in their dialect, they call it Jogja. So like from Jakarta to Jogja and then took a flight to Bali. And I was in Bali for 10 days, which is like also like an entire different story altogether because it's amazing. Like their culture, the, the rainforest, the volcanoes there. 
amazing but i decided you know like since indonesia is like a very very big country it's made of like 3 4000 islands or something like that there is a very small country called east timor which is like right next to bali basically it's a very small country it used to be uh, it used to be a portuguese territory and they recently got independence like in 2002 so it's like a very very new country since it used to be portuguese like india has got like a shared connection to goa and uh, all of that so i'm like i i need to see this country you know it sounds very interesting people don't go here it's still very underexplored no one that i know has been there so i looked up you know how to get there and basically say that it's visa free for indians okay. so you can just go there so i booked a flight from bali to uh, east timor i go to the airport and they say that you know oh sorry we just came up with a new rule last week and like where and they like we should read the fine print in the ticket it's written there i'm like who does that because if like your website says it's visa free it's visa free so they like no 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 it is visa free for everyone basically but for indians pakistanis and bangladeshis you need a separate letter from the consular general of the country saying that you are allowed to visit this place so then i asked the ticket lady like how am i supposed to meet the consular general of an entire country and she's like no 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 he's like right here in bali you can go to his house and he'll give it to you i'm like weird request but okay so i googled this person's address so it's basically it's his house and it's also like an embassy of east timor in bali so i go there i asked the security ki uncle hai kya ghar pe he's like no no today he's out like he's vacationing he'll be back tomorrow then i went back tomorrow with my ticket and with my application i wrote like an application pen say on paper you know like dear mr consular general i want to visit your country i think you know it's very good and etc etc and then i met him and so he's like do you want tea i'm like okay give me tea so basically this consular general of that entire country was sitting we were just having a chat we were talking for like 30 minutes and he was asking me about my travels and you know like how i decided to go to east timor is like no one goes there why do you want to go like <laughs> it's your country i want to go there i just want to experience this place so he's like okay okay no no issues like i'll i'll give you the permit and everything so he stamped my application and he gave me like a letter with like a very official letter with the country seal and consulate general and with his like big signature and everything I'm like very very happy at that point ki i've got the letter i'm going to visit this country and you know i had that sense of like going there for the first time no one has been there i i want to be one of the first people to go there and experience this and then as luck has it the next day volcano blew up in bali so my flight was cancelled oh. so i had to stay in bali for like four five days extra because all the flights were cancelled so i've i've got like a very bad track record with natural disasters or like man made disasters and traveling so that has happened like a lot of times i've been to places and a volcano has blown up the next day floods have came there the next day bomb blasts have happened I hope you are not the reason. <laughs> exactly, I don't know. <laughs> so I came back from Himachal like literally like a week ago, and it's like flooding there right now in Himachal. It always happens. It happened in Kashmir when I was in Istanbul in Turkey. Like one of the worst terror attacks happened. Like the minute I left that place, so it was also a very scary thing. Like I just got onto the flight, and when the flight landed back in London, I called up the people in the hostel there, saying, you know, like are you all right? Because the bomb blast happened exactly outside the hostel where i was staying so those people like they were in the middle of that so that is also something very scary but you know like anything can happen anywhere that doesn't mean you stop traveling so very true so rishad this brings us to the end of our talk it was so much fun listening to your stories so is there a way uh, people can follow your travels 
Yeah, so people can follow my Instagram where I usually post most, if not all, of my travels. Then, if someone's interested in reading about them, I've also got a blog called Travel Nishad, so people can follow that. But usually, it's my Instagram that I keep on posting stuff. My like domestic and international travels are well documented on there. Uh, usually, when I travel, I also make videos and stories and posts about that place. But yeah, I think that's the best way to like follow my travels throughout. Okay great so thank you so much and uh, thank you everyone for joining in and i'll see you next week again with another wonderful traveler take care bye bye